0: Hello and welcome to Future Projection, a Baseball America podcast. This is episode 73 of the show. I'm Carlos Clauso, joined as always by Ben Badler in the new year. What's going on, Ben?
1: Yeah, happy new year, Carlos. You have a little good downtime for yourself and and your family over the break here.
0: Yeah, definitely more than you, uh, it seems like, just based on the fact that that you've got an international board on the site ready to go in the first week of January. I do not have a big board of players, um, so I got... A, a decent amount of downtime, it was nice to to just take a breather and hang out with some family. We went down to North Carolina and hung out with family on both sides, um, so that was good. Uh, you know, I, I've continued to see people on Twitter kind of complaining about baseball's slow off season and how MLB needs to quote-unquote fix it. I mean, I kind of like the slow pace of the off offseason, and part of that is because, again, it feels like one of the only times during the year where we actually can take a bit of a breather Again, uh, excluding you, because uh, January 15th ruined the holiday plans for you. Is it slow? I don't know. We had Otani sign.
1: Maybe there just wasn't a lot of uh, gossipy goodness going around about it, other than maybe for a couple days where people uh,
0: ran away with some information, but... I tend to agree with you. I don't think it has been particularly slow. I mean, Otani signed, and then after that, Yamamoto. Uh, Yamamoto signed with the Dodgers. So maybe if you're like not a Dodgers fan, you want other things to happen, but you also... Juan have, think, Soto got the traded. One, yeah, the Juan Soto trade. You had the Chris Sale trade, which is fascinating. I mean, the Braves just announced an extension that I think is even makes that a little bit more fascinating. Uh, but, you know, I... Really like the fact that baseball has a slower-paced off season. It's a slower-paced regular season. Uh, we don't really need I I don't personally need or want everything crammed into, well, one week or two week period. So I'm perfectly fine with it. Um, hopefully, you guys listening got to enjoy some downtime over the holidays. And got to hang out with family. Uh, it's always a nice refresher. I'm a big fan of January in general, just because of that refreshed feeling we come back with. It's it's a time where really looking ahead to the season making a lot of plans both for content for travel um the college season is kicking off like right around the corner so it, it's just always a fun time to to refocus and look ahead and and I'm already excited about just getting out to the field again it's been a while it seems like since we've done that um yeah and excited to be back on the podcast with you Ben if you guys if you guys are listening and and you want to send us questions or emails throughout the year um i think email is probably the best way we got a nice listener email today that we'll get into but you can email us at future projection at baseballamerica.com um ben is on twitter at ben badler i'm on twitter at carlos a collazo uh so those are all the ways you can get in touch with us if you want to ask questions if you want to give feedback on the show um and before we get into it if you want to leave us a review or a rating um wherever you're listening that'd be great too but um it's been a few weeks since we've podcasted, Ben, so there's plenty to talk about. But I mean, we can go wherever you want, but I feel like it makes sense to kind of start off with your international big board that you dropped on the site this week. I'll link it in the show notes as well. Um, so if you you guys listening want to dig into that and you haven't yet, it'll be a, just a click away. Um, but I guess tell me, what are your thoughts on, on the big board this year, the international class? Um, January 15th is approaching in about a week and a half maybe a little bit more than that as we record this. Um, Yeah. Just what are your thoughts on the class? Any players that stand out or whatever you want to talk about with this? We've got a few weeks to go.
1: Yeah. I think it's hard to speak with a ton of certitude about the class as a whole or or too, too many of the players just because of the way the process works now, where um, I mean, a lot of these players who will sign on January 15th, uh, you know, have had agreements to sign in place since they were probably 13, 14 years old in a lot of cases. And now these, you know, now they're 16, 17 years old signing. So um, some of them play still in a lot more games than others uh, and have some more visibility. Uh, others, not so much. Uh, so it, it creates definitely a, a challenging way to try to uh you know to try to evaluate these players it's you know it's not like in the states where you know maybe you have a player who misses the season because of Tommy John surgery or something like that so you you haven't gotten you haven't had an updated look at him in a year but that's a that's a different situation it, you you wouldn't have uh I mean we, we do have <laughs> it's it's not going to happen anymore cuz the new NCA rules but um, you know, you don't have players in the states committing to Vanderbilt or Tennessee or LSU when they're 13 or 14 years old, which they have done. But you know, they don't then stop working out mm-hmm. <laughs> and playing in front of everybody, uh, yeah. both other college uh, coaches and professional scouts, uh, for the next four or five years, uh, the way in in the Dominican Republic or Venezuela. Uh, You know, teams are really focused their attention now on players who are going to be signing in uh, 2027, 2028. Uh, That's where that's where a lot of their attention is right now. So um, I think anybody who's going to sit here and tell you with any great deal of certainty of like, oh, these are the definite top guys or uh, they have some high degree of confidence in um you know where where players stack up relative to each other uh i think that's uh something to be
0: wary of Uh, well i think that's very useful information especially as the man who has a byline on a list of players that are are in an order um but it's it's good to know that that you're kind of reinforcing the fact that there's a lot of uncertainty with these players and we we mention this every single year we do this but it's just worth noting that the list is not a ranking of players where we have them lined up based on expected bonuses um, because Ben has, has talked ad nauseum about how it's really the most fair way to do this. Just given the evaluation environment of these players um, with that said, Ethan Salas a year ago was seen as one of the top players in the class. He signed for a big bonus 5.8 million. Um, there obviously are a number of prominent international prospects who were not big bonus signings who go on to be, Um, just franchise caliber players, Ronald Cooney Jr., Fernando Tatis, uh, two that come to mind immediately. Who are the big money players to know about uh, this year? From my perspective, I thought it was cool seeing the Braves link to Jose Perdomo, a shortstop out of Venezuela, near the top of this expected bonus board. Um, They desperately need some reinforcements on the hitting side. I think shortstop in particular is an area that it's not super exciting for them, especially after We've seen trades with guys like Braden Shoemaker and Von Grissom, who I don't necessarily think was uh, a shortstop in the long run, but it, it's interesting to see them adding a talent like this. Obviously, they had all the international sanctions, um, and it also sounds like Leo Dallas DeVries, shortstop out of the Dominican Republic, uh, who's expected to sign with the Padres. Like Those two guys are, were very interesting. Obviously, they're the toppers of the board here, but how do you kind of view them? given your your previous experience uh, with with scouting and watching them, or or what do you have to say about them?
1: Yeah, like you said, we lined up the board. It's uh, the bonus board, so it's based on the projected top 50, or the expected top 50 signing bonuses for the class. And, yeah, I mean, we we may change that going forward. Uh, We'll see. But, the yeah, Jose Perdomo is a Venezuelan shortstop uh, that the Braves are going to sign, who is i, I remember it was back during it was like during the pandemic there was a a big showcase down in florida at the complex the the salas complex down there in florida uh where like you know jose salas used to train and or i think still does obviously in the in the off season too uh but it was a big showcase for ethan salas and jose perdomo uh and everybody started really buzzing about those two guys a lot more uh, at that time. I, I think they were pretty well known already, but um, the action seems like it really started to heat up around then. Uh, it's funny now that Salas is already in double A and Perdomo is uh, still a couple weeks away now from uh, officially becoming a, a professional player. But um, yeah, Perdomo has always really stood out for, His hitting ability, he'll probably end up signing, it sounds like, for a comparable top-of-the-class-type bonus that Salas got where the Braves will end up putting almost all of their money into him with some smaller signings sprinkled in. But, um, yeah, really good game performance. It's a pretty short, efficient swing. Uh, A lot of barrels in games, a lot of contact, uh, whether it's fastballs, off-speed stuff. not like a you know a huge guy, uh, but there is there is power in there. There is some explosiveness to his swing. Uh, I think a lot of scouts who saw him, you know, when, you know when they were seeing him early on, thought eh, second base, third base, most likely. It sounds like his defense has gotten better, uh, but we'll see if he ends up staying at shortstop. I'm sure the Braves will send him out as a shortstop and then see where he goes from there. Uh, kind of like uh, you know, kind of like Gleber Torres. He's mm. in that mold. That's the comparison or, or a comparison that comes up for him. That uh, a similar style of player. Where Gleber Torres, when he signed, was uh, our our number one prospect from Venezuela at the time. I think number two overall behind uh, Eloy Jimenez and, and right ahead of Rafael Devers at number three. Um, and uh, the Cubs signed two of the top <laughs> or the top two players. In that group, so uh, if he ends up turning into a player along those lines, uh, I think they'd be, well, they'd be pretty happy. Although, if it's like Yankees fans, it probably piss off half their fan base for, (laughs) for a lot of reasons or for for different (laughs) reasons. But, um, but yeah, really, uh, yeah, really talented hitter, Mm -hmm. especially with a a chance to stick at shortstop, and then you know may end up moving off the position. But uh, I think the the
0: offensive game is really his uh, his calling card nice yeah that'll be a fun one for me to watch over the next few years if i keep doing the brave system which i anticipate doing so he sounds like a fun player and leo dallas devries i will say that name i feel like it's at least a 70 grade baseball name just phenomenal uh shortstop out of the dominican republic again uh we'll be signing with the padres you got a trending up tag on devries can you kind of explain that in the post and then how you're viewing devries at this point
1: yeah, so the the list of players is just sorted. Of, uh, it's it's talent agnostic. It's just an order of what we expect their bonuses to be. But uh, certain players we do have reports on where it's like, okay, if 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 you hit the reset button today and every team, uh, you know, wiped out every team's deal, uh, other other commitments that are in place, like uh, this guy's probably going to get more money. Than he has lined up, or or just the player is is keeps. It seems like he's improving, moving in the right direction. Uh, maybe he's a, a better player than where the the number in terms of the the ranking of of where his bonus ends up. Yeah, uh, so he'll be. You know, and he's look. he's number two on the list. So he's, <laughs> he's already pretty high, but I think for, for sure. Well, I just feel like that speaks scouts,
0: to how how good he is. I mean, your first line, you write on pure talent. He's the best international prospect in the class.
1: Yeah, I think for a lot of international scouts, he'd be their number one player. He's my favorite player who I saw uh, this year. Or I would mm. just say my favorite player from the class this year. Yeah, uh, I went down... To a, there was a tournament happening in the Dominican Republic it was it was a good opportunity to see players who were already committed to sign for for the upcoming class or, or the upcoming couple of classes. After that a whole bunch of different trainer programs their academies were playing in a tournament against each other so it was a, a good atmosphere a lot of committed players were, playing there um not a lot of international directors there in fact i think there was maybe one there it's kind of a strange feeling like if if it was a you know a high school event in the states with that many top players for um you know guys who are going to be signing (laughs) guys who are going to (laughs) be draft eligible the next year it Mm -hmm. would be packed but in this case you know like there were area scouts and you know some dominican supervisors things like that but um a lot of the again the international director's attention is on uh years that are just frankly way too young to be mm. <laughs> focusing on right now but uh I saw you know I saw the play down there first day look good talk to him after the game and he's like oh it's uh it's good to good to see you, Ben uh he goes all right tomorrow tomorrow I'm gonna hit a, a home run and I was like <laughs> like rolling my eyes, you know, kids, Mm. kids have said that before, whatever, like Mm -hmm. cocky 16 year old kid, (laughs) whatever. So, uh, next day go out. Uh, I think he walked, yeah, he walked his first at bat and then second at bat switch hitter. He's hitting left-handed. Uh, I think it was maybe like three Oh three one, uh, just bam right into the (laughs) right field trees i was like no way he's <laughs> round at third base like pointing at me and like yelling at me he's like i told you i was gonna hit it out i told you i was gonna hit it out
0: I was tell like, me you have this on but, video oh yeah i posted it yeah it's, i think i've uh, seen this one yeah it's on it's on my twitter it's on my instagram right now so uh it was uh yeah super i think super- i actually remember when this happened you probably sent it to the slack and we had a good time about it that that's epic Yeah, super confident and well-deserved confidence in Mm -hmm. his
1: case. It's, uh, yeah, switch hitter, just really polished for his age. Um, You know, like if you compare him to, you know, I'm sure Padres fans want to compare him to Ethan Salas. And, I mean, as a hitter, there's death. I mean, similarities just in terms of how advanced of a hitter Devry. Is I'm not mm-hmm. saying the Padres are going to send him a Double A when he's 17 <laughs> years old next year, but um, yeah, just yeah, he is a, he's a really advanced hitter. I, I'd be stunned if he goes out and struggles this year. Just very very advanced approach. Doesn't swing and miss much. the The swing works really well from both sides, and there's there's power too. I mean, it's probably more power than Salas had uh, at the same stage too. I would say. Is there
0: uh, is there a comparable domestic player either in the twenty twenty three high school class or twenty twenty four high school class that that you view his like the hit tool confidence similar to? Because the way you are talking about him, it reminds me of how you talked about guys like Kevin McGonigal, um, maybe Colt Emerson. Like, like what kind of level are do you feel like for his offensive potential, or, or maybe the amount of polish that he already has in in the hitting ability? Yeah,
1: uh, he probably has more power than. And McGonagall. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I mean, he's like that advanced level of a yeah. hitter, I would say. And then uh, it just it seems like a really smart player to really high uh, baseball IQ. Uh, not like super. Uh, I don't think he's like a he's not like a 70 runner or anything like that. But mm-hmm. um, another one where like it's. Maybe it's second base, maybe it's third base, maybe it's shortstop. We'll see. Um, but I definitely would run him out at shortstop and give him every opportunity to uh, to stay there. And then you know, if it's shortstop, second base, third base, the offensive profile is good enough to project uh, at every at any of those positions. Uh, if if the bat clicks like a, a lot of people are expecting it to, including what I expect it to be. <laughs>
0: So talk about the top two. Uh, I am curious about the pitching of this class. It, obviously, most years, the top international signings are shortstops or outfielders or catchers. Those are kind of the big three positions uh, that are getting signed out of this market. There's only one pitcher on your board. That's Brunelli Franco, uh, right-hander out of the Dominican Republic. Is this a an, an unusually down pitching crop is this more of the same that you would expect just given the age and the projection you have to do on pitchers uh is this kind of the industry just showing they, they have a lot more conviction in bats at this at this level like break down the lack of pitchers here for me
1: well how, how many high school pitchers went in the first round of the draft in 2023 it was I believe just it one. was one right yep. noble Meyer. Yeah, uh, and then I, maybe Thomas White got paid like a first-round pick, but yeah. Um, so I, I think just the industry realizes how risky high school pitching is, right? Mm-hmm. At 18 years old, when you're seeing them at 18 years old and making decisions mm-hmm. at that point, um, now you're talking about all right, you're you're signing these international players when they're 16 or 16, 17 now. And really, teams are making decisions to commit the biggest chunks of their bonus pools when these players are 14, 13 years old. So, okay, if if you don't have a ton of confidence in 18-year-old high school pitching relative to uh, the bats or or the older college pitchers who are available, um, how much confidence do you really have in projecting uh, and giving a lot of money to a, a 13 or a 14 year old international <laughs> exactly. pitcher. It's I mean, how much confidence do you really have in a high school or a, a hitter that age too, which is I think a, a fair question. But what certainly was... for pitching, it's it's just even more risky. And if you just look yeah. historically at the big money international pitchers, I mean, you do have Felix Hernandez, you have Francisco Liriano. There are success stories. But a lot of them just haven't worked out. and teams historically, especially in I mean, I think in the last five, five to ten years now, really have avoided giving big money to um, to international pitching prospects, with the exception of Cuban pitchers who have some pro league uh, who are, pro experience, yeah, who are just or who are just older, right? who are yep. already you know eighteen, nineteen years old, more comparable to. Uh, to a you know a high school or a college age pitcher in the states, so um, you know I I I think there's going to be a lot of good pitching prospects signed because there are guys who now who are throwing 93, 94, um, 96 in in at least one case at 16 years old, which is would be one of the hardest throwing. I mean, there's, there is one 16-year-old pitcher here in the States, uh, Miguel Sime
0: in, in New York, who I, I has thrown, I think it was 99. What's up with Jupiter? New York producing a bunch of random hard-throwing pitchers? All these New York kids, uh, as underclassmen, are just throwing bullets. We just... I guess New got, York and Texas. Yeah, we got gas up here. In, in <laughs> yeah, you, you're a Massachusetts guy. I don't know if you can claim New York. But speaking of another... <laughs> uh northeast arm thomas white is one of the big money signings out of high school on the mound from this last class he also is a guy that i feel like you were on pretty early what when was the first time you saw thomas white because you you had him id'd and at, ranked as the top arm in his class i want to say when he was like a sophomore in high school that'd be around the same age as some of these international guys we're talking about
1: yeah he's probably like maybe fifteen, fifteen 15 or 16 yeah at the time i mean it was you know six, probably a six foot four lefty with a super easy delivery throwing low 90s mm-hmm. already
0: doesn't take a whole lot of intelligence <laughs>
1: on my part to figure that one
0: out how many how many high school pitchers do you think last year signed for two million dollars or more
1: two million or more yep mm, six or seven
0: Pretty good guess. We had eight total. Eight. Uh, two lefties: Thomas Wait and Alexander Clemmy. and then the right-handers are Noble Meyer, Stephen Etcheverria, Blake Walters, Travis Zakora, Charlie Soto, Josh Noth. So eight total.
1: Yeah. So uh, I, there's going to be a lot of pitchers who signed for seventy thousand, two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Who, you know, when they agreed, maybe were eighty five, eighty eight, or Uh, 86 to 90 and now are throwing significantly harder (laughs) than that Um, some cases the team probably had to bump up the bonus for those players because they got so much better but you're not going to see it necessarily reflected in terms of big big bonuses which kind of sucks because it it really hurts pitchers the the current system that we're in I, I think if we go to an international draft or a system that would just force everything to slow down you know the teams would still favor the position players they are the better bets. but i do think it would help pitchers have some chance to
0: compete for more yeah well just uh, the the timing of of when you're giving out the money right like you have to if in the current system you're agreeing to deal so early and you mentioned how difficult it is to project arms for, for that many years, like it makes sense to bet on hitters, given that sort of like window of time you have to wait. But if you, like you said, slow it down, uh, you have to project less on all of the players. There are going to be some of those pitchers that have made significant jumps, and you can feel a little bit better about what their stuff is going to be like in the next two to three years versus the next six to seven years. So I, th- I think we're going to see pitchers, well,
1: we always see it, as soon as, once they sign... You get these kids signed. You know, you have a kid in Venezuela, you know, at home or just in his, you know, program, training, whatever. Then he gets into it. He signs, gets into his team's academy, you know, with the Cubs or the Red Sox or the Dodgers or the Rays or whoever, mm. living there, training there every day in their weight room on their strength and conditioning program, on their throwing program. Well, they might already be on their <laughs> team's throwing program, uh, whether they admit it or not uh, but just and eating eating the food there every day piling on the food that I see these kids piling onto their plates in in the cafeteria and all of a sudden they put on you know 15 20 pounds and in you know three months six months they go from you know generic right-handed pitcher who's uh, you know 88 92 with some projection and feel for a breaking ball and now they're uh you know 90 95 or they're 91 96 all of a sudden so uh especially at this age players can change a lot in a hurry and, and with pitchers uh, especially we can see the mm-hmm. stuff really tick up once they sign and, and get into pro ball
0: yeah Absolutely. Uh, Any other players you want to mention or any other elements of the international board or the international class as a whole? Uh, We're going to get into some AL West farm system talk. Um, But again, it is, I mean, January 15th is approaching, so I don't want to take the mic away from you too early. I also don't want to spoil too much of your big board, um, which I hope everyone goes and checks out after listening.
1: Uh, Yeah, yeah, those are, uh, we talked about some of the big players from the DR from Venezuela, I guess from Cuba. I would say the top guy uh, for me this year, uh, probably the top paid guy too, would be uh, Yandel Ricardo, uh, a shortstop, Um, another switch hitting shortstop. Um, I think the at one point the Padres were going to sign him, and then they lost uh, uh, bonus pool money and couldn't, you know, (laughs) just don't have the money to sign him. And Devry, Uh, I think it's going to work out well for Ricardo because he's still going to. Uh, get paid uh probably maybe even more money now with the with the royals um yeah pretty advanced hitter from both sides uh pretty good swing a lot of contact uses the whole field uh, good approach for his age uh, he's getting bigger he's getting stronger uh, i just think the way he's growing maybe it's shortstop now maybe it ends up being third base uh, maybe second base too if he outgrows shortstop but certainly give him a chance to go out there at shortstop and and show that he can uh you know try to stick at the position but um, his you know offensively is definitely one of the more impressive hitters this series was definitely one of the guys who got a, a kind of a trending uh, one of the trending up arrows yeah. next to his name so um, Royals like we talked about are a farm system that definitely needs some help so he'll be uh, yeah. I think a pretty nice add for them and probably already rank pretty high for them <laughs> after after signing which is uh, both both a sign of his talent and also what's what's lacking in that yeah, farm in system City. Right yeah now.
0: it's wide open for the royals at this point um one other thing i wanted to mention too i noticed there were some mets fans on social media they saw you had yovani rodriguez a catcher out of venezuela linked to the mets i've already gotten some uh why are we selecting another shortstop but a catcher for <laughs> Mets fans. So so Yankees <laughs> fans and Mets fans are are in the same boat here but with a different position. Yeah, they have too many catchers. So well, um, I don't
1: think it's unique to one
0: fan base <laughs> wondering. I've why. just noticed it mostly from from the Yankees and Mets, so I'm going to pick on them here. Um, well, they probably just have more fans than <laughs> most. That's why. That's but yeah, when I,
1: true. Yeah, I'm sure you'll see under any photo that I post on January fifteenth of a signing of some <laughs> fan is going to be like you just you know who doesn't really follow this stuff is going to yeah. see it fly into their feed and be like,
0: wait. Oh, we we're still have, allowed to laugh at them, right, Ben? Or is, we that, have is that punching down, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the I would Cubs look at fans the, are going to be absolutely pissed about Fernando Cruz. Danby Swanson is there? Yeah,
1: I, I think the other way to look at it would be wait if the. If our international scouts and our Venezuelan scouts who signed Francisco Alvarez and loved Francisco Alvarez so much uh, when they signed him, if they're you know, if, if the Mets are now willing to put all this money into signing another Venezuelan catcher and Giovanni Rodriguez, who is Frank like, you know, not saying he's Francisco. Alvarez like Alvarez had more power I think Giovanni Rodriguez is a more advanced defender that was definitely one of the Hopefully so, on yeah. <laughs> Alvarez when he signed although Alvarez had a cannon arm as well but if if you know if, I would I would say if hey if our scouts <laughs> liked Francisco Alvarez so much and they're willing to uh, invest all of this money into Giovanni Rodriguez that would probably be a good sign I would think <laughs>
0: Absolutely. Well, you know, the Orioles have a real problem on their hands, uh, given the presence of Adley Rutschman and Samuel Basayo. So you really don't want to end up in that scenario. Yeah, I'm sure they regret signing Samuel (laughs) Basayo right now. All right, let's move on from the international talk for now. We will be back with more next week uh, ahead of January 15th. So if you guys are, are thinking about the class or if you're reading Ben's board and you have any questions about the process, about the players, Definitely throw those at us. We, we maybe can do a little mini mailbag ahead of um, January 15th this year. I think that could be a bit of fun. Um, and Ben is the the expert on this international market, so I can't imagine uh, a better informant than him uh, on this regard. But let's move on to the AL West, Ben. We're kind of wrapping up a series that we began in the winter prior to Prospect Handbook being assembled. Um, AL West, unfortunately, is the last division that we haven't hit on um, but we're here probably to... Probably the worst. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, we saved them. I mean, I guess we saved them last because we always just happen to go east to west. But it did work out in, in, in that sense as well. It definitely feels like it's the Rangers, and then it's a bunch of systems that are probably back third in baseball, mediocre at best. Um, the Rangers are really doing a lot of a lot of the heavy lifting here for this division um so i guess uh, we can start I, with them
1: i think you're underselling the mariners a little bit on that. They're f- i wouldn't they're fine. I wouldn't i wouldn't lump the mariners in the, with the i wouldn't the put astros. the mariners as a
0: top 10 system though uh
1: i mean I, all right so i, I would. would i would i wouldn't lump them in
0: with the astros angels and a's no systems i think there's definitely separation between them and those three but i'm just saying like a farm system that you get excited about i think it's it's the rangers and that's it in this division
1: i think the rangers have the best farm system but i do think there's some exciting pieces in the mariner system in the lower levels but
0: mm.
1: but we can start with the the rangers i do think they're the
0: the best Farm system. The Mariners want, are at least in like the Evan at best they're in the 54th farm. percentile here with the Mariners. I don't I don't think you can go much more than that. 54th percentile. Yeah, uh, that's, that's fair. <laughs> well, let's let's start with the, at least we both agree that the Rangers are an exciting farm system, but they're also a, I feel like a fairly unique farm system to rank as highly as they're going to rank on our org talent rankings at the beginning of this year, just given the the ex, extreme lack of depth. Maybe I don't know if extreme is going too far. Uh, but they rank highly because they're extremely top-heavy. And again, I'd prefer a really top-heavy system over one with just really solid depth throughout and maybe no carrying players up top. And we mentioned this at some point last year, but Evan Carter and Wyatt Langford is a pretty elite one-two punch. And I think you can make a case that they've got two top-five prospects in all of baseball.
1: Yeah, it's, it's hard to beat that duo. Um, I don't think their depth is great, but when you have... Two guys who I think could easily be top five overall prospects and certainly will be top ten overall prospects in Mm. baseball. It's a great starting point. Um, Yeah, and and what Evan Carter did after he got called up, I I think there were people who were understandably concerned about how much power he would ultimately have. Yeah. Um, I think he answered uh, or certainly did a lot to answer questions about that and and elevate his stock because i really really was a big fan of his just because of how well he did everything else on the field and then to see the power show Mm -hmm. up the way that it did um in the big leagues just gave you even more confidence of all right this this guy looks like he's going to be a consistent four or five or so win player I, Mm -hmm. i think he's he's a star or will be a star
0: yeah, I mean, he's already got a pretty cool picture of himself holding the World Series trophy um, on the cover, so that's that's kind of fun. Um, yeah, do you do you prefer Carter to Langford? It seems like that's become a bit more consensus. I I still think I might be a little bit more excited about White Langford just because the power is definitely there with Langford. Um, the pro debut was obviously really strong. I, I don't even really need to get too carried away with the pro debut. For Langford, I think I would have taken Langford over Carter prior to his pro debut, and I know there are a lot of people who are really, really high on Wyatt just after the pro debut. But how close do you view those two? Do you have a preference there? Um, are you with me on Langford over Carter if you had to pick one, or, or how do you view that?
1: I think it's I think it's close. I think I would lean toward Carter and what he's already shown and what he's proven in a bigger sample, yeah, in pro ball, and I think. Yeah, certainly Lankford does have more power. I think he will hit for more power than Evan Carter, Uh, and it's not like he's lacking elsewhere in his offensive profile either because I think he's a really good hitter too with a really strong sense of the strike zone, Uh, just like I would say the same about uh, Evan Carter. Uh, I think Carter's a a better runner. I think he's a better defender, is going to bring more defensive value. by, you know a couple months into the season I might change my mind on this and and flip Langford ahead of Carter not that Carter is going to be prospect eligible by that point but um I would lean toward Evan Carter uh, a little bit ahead of Langford right now would you, you take Langford ahead though
0: yeah I would just I just get more excited about the impact potential that Langford has I mean I agree with everything you said about Evan Carter I, I think he's an elite prospect he's an elite player he does a lot of things really well. Um, his zone skills are phenomenal, the defensive ability, the athleticism. Uh, I just feel like ultimately Wyatt Langford could be an absolute masher, 30-plus home run types. Uh, like I'm excited about the power potential he has. I think the hit tool can be close to as good as what, what I think Carter is going to be as a hitter, and I think maybe the, the gap in the power uh, might just get me a little bit more excited about him overall as a player even acknowledging that the carter is a better defender and is more likely to play center field at a high level like i think i'd rather just take the bat with with Langford. even though again like you said carter has proven at the majors he's got a longer minor league career obviously his his background and his story and the scouting story with with the rangers is fun but i I just have a lot of conviction in 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 white Langford offensively and i think there is a lot more juice there so i'd be i'd be willing to take a risk uh on him versus Carter, even though I acknowledge like both are, are really good. Would Langford be a top five
1: overall prospect for you right now? I mean it doesn't sound like Carter would be for you, unless maybe you think both are, but
0: <laughs> I think um I actually can pull up my my list because this is something that I've been trying to work on, getting together my personal top one fifty on my running list now, which is not like official. I haven't locked it in, but I currently have Langford five and Carter six. So very close it's not all like, right yeah so we're kind of splitting hairs here. we're very much splitting hairs here i would say it's yeah. it's not like i have carter at like 12 or 15 and Langford at like three like and i think every all the players that i'm gonna have in this one to maybe seven range i feel like are i mean i do like jackson holiday quite a bit but i feel like everyone in the two to seven range just you could really put them in whatever order you want and it makes sense to me like i think it's very tight yeah i think that sounds pretty reasonable what's interesting with the rangers too is they have picked very high in the draft in the last few years they picked number four overall in 2023 they picked number three overall in 2022 they picked number two in 2021 uh in the last two drafts they have not they've they've missed picks despite picking high so they've had less pool money they've had less picks available i think that uh kind of speaks to the lack of depth a little bit in the farm system They also really haven't yet hit on both Jack Leiter and Kamar Rocker, who they took at the top. And and maybe that just speaks to the general risk of pitching prospects in general. Um, Jack Leiter was not really seen as a risky pick at number two. I think that was a fairly consensus on the board selection at the time. Kamar Rocker was a little bit more surprising. Um, And and so it's interesting to look back at their drafts and see their strategy, their risk tolerance, um, and like what hitting on Evan Carter does versus maybe not quite yet hitting on on some of your other more prominent picks at the time of the draft. It's it's just interesting to think through what the Rangers have done in the draft, the picks they've had and how some of these players have panned out. But how much faith do you have on with both Rocker and Lighter at this point? Where do you view them as as prospects? I mean, like
1: Lighter, it's fair to say is a total reclamation project at this point. Mm. Right? Like what has he done to inspire any confidence in the last two years now and i say this as somebody who's a big jack Leiter fan at the time they drafted him but he's just been he's just been bad Uh, maybe needs a change of scenery um i guess it worked for cole reagan's but i i don't know if that's even gonna be the magic solution for him um Mm -hmm. he's still you know he'll turn 24 this year, not saying his career is over, but it's can't call him a top prospect anymore. Um, I don't think. And then Kumar Rocker, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I loved Rocker in college and then the whole situation with his injury and all that, or his, his medical status. But, um, it's too bad because he, he was throwing well when he was healthy early in the season. And then he did have Tommy John. Um, but again, like he's coming back now. He'll be, you know, t- t- 24. Uh, it's there's, there's, I think there's probably more things to like there with rocker, even mm-hmm. given the medical heightened medical issues that are that you have with him compared to lighter because we have seen him be effective when healthy yeah. uh, as recently as 2023 um but definitely two guys who uh, i think if the rangers could do those picks over again would uh, like a like a redo
0: yeah absolutely uh, any other names in the rangers system that, that you feel like is worth mentioning before we move on to some other teams don't want to spend the whole pot on the rangers but um Again, it is a top-heavy system, so maybe it's more fitting.
1: Yeah, well, we talked about the depth or, or maybe the lack thereof in the system, but uh, I think one guy a little deeper down the list to keep an eye on is Emiliano Teoto, who, again, go back to pitchers, signed out of Latin America for very little money, who can turn into big-time arms pretty quickly. Uh, he definitely fits that bill. Uh, I signed him out of the dominican republic a few years ago and it's you know he'll, i think it's relief uh a relief future for him mm-hmm. it's sitting upper 90s uh went from a very hittable upper 90s for seamer to uh, a very difficult to hit uh, upper 90s to seamer during the season last year uh saw the strikeouts go up uh walks walks are still higher than they need to be uh but that pitch and a a really hard sharp curveball for him is two those are two back of the bullpen type pitches for him Mm. um he's got to throw more strikes but uh the stuff is there to be a, a really good high leverage reliever if he's able to to throw enough strikes
0: yeah two other names that i'll just mention quickly that are intriguing at the back of the system caden scarborough right-handed pitcher who they drafted in the sixth round in this past draft in 2023 he was kind of a late pop-up guy and i have a lot of a lot of faith in just the rangers uh, ability to scout players and a, a lot of their off-the-board picks have panned out pretty well so he sounds pretty exciting as he adds more strength and adds more velocity to a fastball that's currently 89-91 um I think he is has some intriguing traits there so just seeing what he does in his debut he's a player that I'm excited to to just track and then Alejandro Rosario at 23 like the entirety of his amateur career is really underwhelming but the arm talent is just consistently so exciting I'm curious if him getting into a pro pitching development system can help unlock um different things i don't know if necessarily the rangers are are the org you'd point to as as being great at doing that or having a really strong track record but i do think there are some tweaks you could make either in, in pitch usage with him or maybe fastball shape that could help unlock him a bit so i don't have like massive expectations for either of these guys but two names that i'm at least intrigued by further down in the system
1: all right uh, why are you so down on the the Mariners,
0: Carlos? I think you were reading too much into just my, Mariners. <laughs> my Mariners, my uh, Mariners. I basically just think they're, they're a fine middle of the pack system. And you're right. That does separate the Mariners from the likes of the Astros and the Angels and the A's. But I, I think there are 10, 11 other farm systems that are pretty similar to what the Mariners are bringing to the table at this point. I mean, they've done a really good job hitting on some pitchers in the draft in recent years. I like some of the high school hitters they've taken uh, at the top of the draft, like Cole Emerson, like Harry Ford. So, I mean, I like the system fine. It just there's nothing that I'm, like, banging the table on here, I don't think. It's it's a very average-ish system, which is, which is great.
1: So I think one of the negatives of the system is that you don't have a lot of players who you can see being – uh, impactful players for the 2024 Major League Club, so that's a negative. On, on the other hand, they do have a ton of lower-level prospects who I am pretty excited about, and I think have real breakout potential for them. Who who have the ability to turn this into a top five type farm system in a year from now, if everything breaks right for these guys part of that again is because you're not going to have a lot of guys graduate to the big leagues which is a problem uh in one sense but uh as far as where the farm system could be a year from now i think it has a chance to go go way up um i mean even pretty much all their best prospects i mean cole young Uh, colt emerson harry ford johnny farmello lazaro montez the
0: system has a lot of like hitterish high school players that i feel like you liked prior to them being drafted and now they're all assembled in the same farm so it does not surprise me that you're you're really excited about where this could be in a year or two
1: yeah like felney and celestin hopefully will play Mm -hmm. Uh, that'll that should be well should help him we'll see i guess if it could could absolutely go the other way Mm. too but um, yeah, like Michael Arroyo, Tyler Locklear. There's there's a lot of. I mean, Ty Pete I wouldn't describe as hitterish, but su- certainly a ton of physical projection indicators mm. and athletic qualities to uh, to like with him. So uh, I just think they have a whole bunch of guys who have a, a chance to really move up when we're having mm. this AL West conversation next year.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited to see both both Cole Young and Colt Emerson. Another player that I'm intrigued about in, in this farm system is Johnny Farmello, and it's mostly because of the difference in how I viewed him as an amateur and how like the feedback we're already getting on him as a pro. Would you say you viewed him as a hit over power or a power over hit guy prior to the draft? Just your uh, snap instinct here.
1: I think... I mean, he's big. He's a big, strong dude. Um, he had I, – I, so I, when I saw him as an underclassman, I thought it was mm. hit over power. Uh, yeah. I really liked his hitting mm. ability. That's what I was drawn to. And then I thought the power certainly had a chance to come because yeah. uh, just of the, the size and physic, the physicality that he had. Um, watching him take BP going into his senior year, could definitely see the power mm. was trending up. Uh, the, so the power definitely was already starting to stand out then. And then he was, he was running much better than either, either he had before, or than I had expected him to be running mm-hmm. at that point. So really good athlete, uh, like the hitting ability and then it seemed like the power was ticking up. So it was a lot of different things to, to mm. like with him.
0: So I viewed him more as like a hit overpower type. I saw the good running that, that you had mentioned came on. I feel like throughout the process, I saw him as like a 70 grade runner fairly consistently, but I definitely viewed him as more of a hit over power type with a line drive swing. He showed some raw power in batting practice, but it was nothing that made me think any more than like solid average or 50 grade as a projection in the future. And I was fine with that. Cause I thought he could be an above average hitter, maybe a, a plus hitter if everything turns out right. I, th- I like the contact ability. I liked his ability to use all fields. And now like reading his report after some pro uh, scouts have seen him and just getting more pro feedback we're describing him as like a power over hit prospect which is fascinating maybe it's just like a swing change uh, is enough to unlock that power that you're talking about being developed so I'm really intrigued as to what sort of offensive player we're going to get with Johnny Farmello, because I'm I'm at a point now after what I've seen and All of my pre-draft reporting and and conversations with scouts are really just kind of conflicting with some of the more recent information. And I I really want to know like which side of that coin he's going to end up on or if he's just a solid in both respects. If it's not really hit overpower, it's kind of just you're getting both of them at a solid level. So he's he's an interesting one to me. Um, Pre-lander Barroa, I don't know how I think about him as a prospect, but I do think I would include him in my elite baseball names. Uh, segment of this podcast i love that name yeah it's um, a 70 name yeah for sure any other guys further down the board uh that are worth mentioning with the mariners here I, I do like they they have a number of hitters at the top of the system i'm always a fan of that i think the entirety of the top 10 outside of one player is, is a hitter which is fun
1: yeah yeah i mean it's yeah cole young obviously is uh you know him colt emerson my kind of guy is very very hitterish qualities with both Um, I think they could both be top 50 prospects by midseason I'd probably already have Cole Young there already myself anyway but uh, I think Cole Young could join him Uh, and then you know it's it's a good balance too like you have Lazaro Montes who is not the pure hitter those guys are although I I do like I, I think there's some feel for enough feel for hitting there and then gigantic Raw power, too. Uh, I think he has a chance to really take off this year. We already saw it start to happen this year. And I think once he gets into uh, a full season league now, or we see him do it over a full season, starts to, uh, if he's able to answer some more questions about swing and miss with his game, which again, I think already was really trending in the right direction in 2023, he's somebody else who I think is probably already on the cusp of being a top one hundred prospect and could really solidify himself into uh into that group. Um I, I think I would be curious to see more of Walter Ford this year too. Um right hand a pitcher. Um didn't get didn't get to see like uh um a ton of him this year, but still a lot of really good projection uh, or really good qualities to like uh, with him big fastball uh, like the breaking ball with him athletic just a lot of good a lot of good indicators for a a young pitcher he's somebody i I could see taking a a big step forward this year
0: all right um let's move on to our next team i guess we go whatever direction you want here. We've got Oakland, we've got Houston, we've got um, Los Angeles. Would you bucket all of these teams in a similar, pretty pretty lukewarm or below average or uninspiring tier, or do you think there's some separation still to be found with these three teams, who I think are are solidly kind of in the back third of the farm systems in baseball?
1: Yeah, I would. Yeah, these are all bottom ten farm systems for me um you could maybe put the a's a tick ahead of Mm. the other two um they really should be a lot more than a tick ahead at this point just given how bad uh they've been for 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 all this time now but
0: um i mean maybe you could say that based on karma they they shouldn't deserve to be much better given how ownership has run this team. But they also have gotten pretty unfortunate in um, just the the draft lottery, uh, how that's worked for them in back-to-back years now. They're going to be locked out of a top six pick in the 2025 draft, which you might rather have a, a top six pick in that draft class than the current uh, 2024 class. Um, but, yeah, I just don't think there's a lot of impact in the system They have made some trades for a number of players, and I I think a lot of those players have either gotten worse in Oakland's system or haven't taken the steps you expect of them or hope they can take. I'm thinking of guys like Roy Bear Salinas, Joey Estes, Ryan Cusick, um, maybe even throw Freddie Tarnak in that, all all pitchers from Atlanta's system who I would have a lot more confidence in them having turned into better versions of themselves if they were in Atlanta's system. Christian Uh, Poppe, even going back to, to him. Yeah, and even even with with Pache, I think he was like further along his developmental track. I don't I don't know what the expectations would have been for him, but but even a guy that I really like, like Taylor Soderstrom, like he hasn't been quite the guy that I was expecting him to be at this point. Um, I guess we'll see what happens with him. But I mean, Jacob Wilson is a good player. He's a solid player, but I do think the A's kind of just got bad luck in picking six after the the 2023 class had this elite group of top five and you're picking right after it where really from six to maybe as far down as 20 like there's not a ton of separation between the players they took wilson who has i mean he does a lot of things really well i think this is a player that that you might find yourself liking a lot ben like the contact ability is elite maybe the best in the class him and nolan shanwell like two just elite contact hitters coming from smaller conferences good defender savvy player but just you probably want to feel like you have more impact in your system at this point if you're the A's. There's still a lot of risk with a lot of the players in the top 10. Um, yeah, Um, There's just not a lot to hang your hat on, I'd say. Even if you could say that maybe the system has taken a step forward with guys like... I mean, just adding Jacob Wilson I think does a lot to the system considering where it's at, but I guess we'll see.
1: Yeah, I think the lack of returns from trades has really hurt them. They've traded a lot of big leaguers for prospects and the returns either in terms of the prospects who are in the system right now or players who are on their major league team uh, i think have just been underwhelming uh yeah you talked about the the draft and then you look at the international side i think we have three international prospects for them in their top 30 uh one of them is uh you know the cuban right-handed pitcher luis morales who had not a big sample size, but a pretty encouraging debut, I would say. Certainly one of the—I uh, think he signed for three million dollars. One of those uh, exceptions to pitchers getting a lot of money in the international market. Obviously, he's a uh, an older pitcher, and uh, that helps him there. So, uh, but again, through like less than fifty innings this year, and some of that, uh, pro probably, well, probably a little more than a quarter, almost half of it came in either DSL or in the Arizona complex league. So um, there's definitely stuff there with him. Uh, I think it might be reliever most likely long-term. So um, just a lot of different avenues for procuring talent, uh, especially with prospects where I think they, you know, the results just haven't been what they, uh, you know, what, what you'd be hoping for.
0: Yeah, I mean, there are some interesting arm talent in the system. Uh, Steven Atreveria has a lot of arm talent. Joe Boyle, Luis Morales, Mason Miller are all intriguing arms. But I think I have real questions with most or all of those players as well. So I think you would want to feel more confident in like what player dev is getting out of these, these guys in 2024 and taking big jumps forward in their development this year with a lot of these players will be really crucial. Um, and again, next year... They're going to be picking in, in the top six. They're not going to in 2025, so it'll be really important for them to feel good about their draft hall um, in addition to maybe be more active on the international market, like you were mentioning, just the lack of international players in the system right now. It's it's a weird spot for a team that you would expect to be towards, like a have a top 10 system given their last few years.
1: Yeah, but uh, yeah, you mentioned arms. I, I would say Steven Echevarria. Who they drafted this year or last year out of high school, uh, mm-hmm. New Jersey high school? He's one I'm, I'm definitely intrigued by. Just a lot of good projection arrows for him, pointing mm-hmm. the right way. Uh, he's young for the class, good body, more more projection left. You could see it really every every year. His stuff jumped up another tick, including over the spring last year. He's up to 97. There's nothing. There was no wipeout pitch there, but it was three, yeah. you know, the stuff across the board, the fastball, the slider, the changeup. There was feel for uh, for all of it. Uh, a slider ahead of the changeup now uh, through – generally through strikes, like sometimes here and there where, where it wasn't always there. But, um, you know, for a player who was drafted at 17 years old, up to 97 solid strikes – pretty good slider, feel for a changeup. A lot of a lot of good ingredients to work with there and feel like this is a guy who could uh I mean they paid him what like three million dollars, which is a lot more than I would have expected. Um for him. I'm,
0: I'm glad you said that because I was gonna mention that with the Steven Echeverria. I like him in a lot of ways. Um I did not expect him to be the big overslot guy that the Ace took where they take him to the third round. I mean, at that point, Cam Johnson is on the board still. It's obviously impossible to say, like, what Cam Johnson's asking for, what Steven Echeveria is asking for at the time, what the medical status of both those players were. But, like, I was waiting for a team to take Cam Johnson... You give him the overslot deal uh, and sign him out of an LSU commitment maybe after day one that just wasn't wasn't possible but I, I think know a lot
1: of uh, coaches in the SEC were hoping for that too
0: yeah I mean he was kind of the name he was like the Brock Porter name being floated around I was really waiting to see who would do it I mean we'll see what happens with, with Cameron Johnson at LSU I, I just feel like that is a it's more impact that you're taking a shot on on a risky demographic for that amount of money you do have wipeout stuff with Cameron Johnson and again I'm, I'm kind of Critiquing the A's for something they didn't do, and maybe they never even considered this. So it's mm. it twenty nine other teams didn't draft Dan yeah. Johnson either. Yeah, but I, I think I'd just say I would agree. Like I like Steven Echevarria, but for the price tag, uh, I am kind of a little skeptical of that one. Um, although I think he's got some solid stuff, and I like the way he pitches. I like the frame. I like the youth. Um, I think I would want like a little more now stuff for for a player that I am taking for three million, maybe
1: yeah yeah i mean i i can see that uh i mean i don't have johnson ahead too and mm. i mean if you know we, if we had to draft just twenty twenty six players today <laughs> cam johnson has a good chance to mm. go number one if not be a top three <laughs> uh pick he's certainly in a good position
0: which again that. if that's the case then maybe we're never signing cameron johnson for three million dollars so yeah
1: but uh, yeah there's there's a lot to like with etchery i mm-hmm. think he's somebody where um, you know, he goes out, stays healthy. Uh, the trend continues where his stuff keeps moving up the way it's been like every year for the last few years. Uh, yeah. could be, uh, you know, he's he's ranked behind Luis Morales right now. We're like, maybe, uh, you know, I, I think it's you could say Morales has more, more now stuff, at least more mm-hmm. of a now. F- uh, yeah, f- yeah, fastball and slider but i think echeveria has better feel for a changeup and a better chance to start so i could see echeveria surpassing him in terms of the well i guess mason miller is still technically <laughs> prospect eligible but um mm. you know once once he's no longer a prospect i could see Echevaria overtaking uh luis morales as a top pitching prospect in this organization
0: all right, let's move on to Angels and Astros. Uh, again, there's not another player you want to mention. Um, if there is, we can circle back. But uh, Angels and Astros feel like um, maybe bottom five-ish, bottom three-ish maybe. Uh, do, you, do you feel like one team is clearly ahead of the other here? Um, we're, we're definitely in the kind of the bottom of the barrel once we're at this point.
1: Yeah, yeah, both. Yeah, both certainly bottom 10 and probably bottom five farm systems mm. right now um know, yeah, i i think i like i like nolan shanwell i'm probably more in like the
0: middle ground of the polarized community around yeah nolan Shanwell. i'd be more towards who, more towards the bottom which is maybe rich like we had him ranked as a first rounder i think he was a first rounder but much further towards the the back third than where he was selected and signed for yeah do you
1: think some of the negativity come on him comes from either where he was drafted or just how fast he was moved to the big leagues where maybe people have an expectation of oh he was the first guy to the draft class from the big leagues he went from a player who was at florida atlantic in the spring and then (laughs) <laughs> a few months later, it was teammates with Mike Trout in the big
0: leagues. Where, maybe, where I, I think, honestly, I think the negativity is honestly just seeing his exit velocity data and knowing he plays first and just understanding the, the bar you have to clear as a hitter as a first base. And I think, like, how the profile fits at first base more than anything is maybe the biggest, like, what will put people towards the negative side of the spectrum on him. Because every everything that you just mentioned, I would imagine... Like I, I view him very positively for all of those things. Like the fact that he did reach the majors, the fact that he posted a forty percent on base rate um in the majors that quickly after the draft. He was one of the quickest players we've ever seen from the draft to the majors. Like all that's massively impressive. And I do think his contact ability and approach is like a carrying tool. I just don't know what sort of value that player has if he's not hitting for more power, like significantly more power than he showed. Um and and, and I think that's kind of my My question about really a lot of the, like if you look through the Angels system, there's not a lot of impact hitting in this system. There are a lot of players with power questions. They've definitely seemed to switch around their, their drafting philosophy in recent years, instead of like going for these riskier players, it feels like they've taken safer contact oriented college type profiles like previously they went for these high upside athletes that a lot of those didn't really pan out now they have pushed some players to the big leagues pretty quickly nolan shanuel zach Neto. a year prior i even think in 2021 they had one or several of the first players um from that draft class reach the majors so they have pushed players to the majors quickly i just am a little concerned about the lack of impact that i i see in their most recent draft and really throughout their farm system on the hitting side. I mean, they've got some big arms. They've got some big fastballs with Sam Bachman and Ben Joyce. And I do like Barrett Kent Mm -hmm. quite a bit. Um, He was one of their uh, bigger money signings that went a little bit later in the draft. Like I I like him a lot because I think there is some exciting upside with him, but it it needs projection. It needs time to develop. And I just don't know how I feel about some of these really quick moving guys to the bigs. Like, I think I wrote this somewhere when we were doing Prospect Handbook. Like n- not missing is is great, but I I do think that like not missing isn't the same as hitting big in the first round, and you want to hit big as well. Um, and maybe I'm being too pessimistic because getting a major leaguer in the draft is a win in and of itself. But I, I think the Angels also are just in a position where you, we're going to be more critical of them, given some of the players they have, given the lack of. Consistent postseason teams surrounding Mike Trout, like losing Shohei Otani, it just doesn't feel like it. Doesn't feel like there is a wave of prospects waiting to take them to the next phase, and that's disappointing.
1: Yeah, it's tough to see the path to contention for them right now. Mm. I mean, like you said, you're losing Otani from an already mediocre major league club, and the talent in the farm system is not there to really. Uh, enhance much right now um yeah like even like nelson rada you talked about guys who have feel for hitting but lack of power and and i like nelson rada and he's you know he's still super young like he just turned 18 years old last season he was already in oa and and you know got on base at a near 400 clip there uh but also you know worry if it's sort of like uh you know carlos rodriguez the the Brewers or one of the brewers, Carlos Rodriguez is the outfielder who has really good back control and hasn't, um, you know, ever developed any power. He's a smaller guy. Um, I I do, I do like Rada's ability to to hit and the strike zone discipline. And then he, he does have good defensive instincts too. Uh, In center fields, there's a lot to like there, but definitely another guy where, the power, uh, the future power is the big question mark, uh, obviously with a very different, uh, uh different physical, um, dimensions than Nolan Shanwell, where, uh, that's where it kind of scares me a little bit with Shanwell is, yeah, he has great on base skills. He has, uh, you know, ability to make a lot of contact and great strike zone judgment, uh, but he's already pretty big and physically Mm -hmm. mature at this point, so it's like, okay, if he's hitting the ball as softly (laughs) as he is now...
0: With Shanwell I... I, No, go ahead. I'll let you finish.
1: Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, the hope is that the power comes into, maybe when he gets into his mid-20s, where where you can see power tick up for a lot of Mm -hmm. guys, but I just don't know if that will actually happen with him. Like, where is the power going
0: to come from the one thing i'll say with that is i do wonder how much of shanwell's lack of power is simply an approach question like he he could hit the ball harder he could swing with more intent if he wanted to but he is specifically looking for contact he's specifically looking to get on base and so that Mm -hmm. leads to a lot of swings where he's slapping the ball the other way he just has the ability to do that and so he does so we had some scouts say that he showed above average raw power in batting practice. I mean, he hit a decent amount of home runs. It's college, it's a metal bat. Like the exit velocity data in college is significantly better than what he showed in pro ball. Maybe it was a case where Shannon, he's being challenged. He's being pushed really aggressively. He's seeing stuff that, that he just hasn't faced on a day-to-day basis. And so because of that, he's not kind of swinging with maybe his full intent. So I do wonder just getting how much of a swing. Yeah, I kind of wonder about that. Like, I'm, I'm not confident that that's the case, but I think that he is a player that it wouldn't shock me just given given some of the feedback we've gotten about his raw power. Like you said, his size. Like, I, I saw some of the home runs he hit. I, I think there's power in the tank. I think it's just a matter of, like, is he going to shake up his approach? Is he going to sacrifice some of that contact, swing and miss a little bit more in order to get to, to more of that power? Because it, it wouldn't shock me if he was able to do that I just don't think you're going to get great exit velocity data and also get the same elite sort of eye and on-base skill. I think it's going to be more of like a trade-off and approach base. But I'm really curious to see if that changes at all next year with him.
1: Yeah, I I don't think it's going to happen next year with him. I think where it could happen is maybe years down the road where you see something like uh, uh, Kevin Euclid's type where he was... Mm. obviously may, became very famous for his uh, on-base skills, also from a uh, a mid-major program in college and didn't hit for a lot of power when he was in the minors. Um, I mean, he's already obviously well ahead of that because you didn't get to the big leagues till he was 25 years old, but um, ended up hitting for more power once he got into his uh, mid or, or really late 20s in his case. So I, I could see something like that happening but it'd be hard for me to see that happening in (laughs) as soon as this year for for him and i I think there's a lot of risk that maybe it it never comes for for him too which is where the great polarization i think stems from with him
0: yeah he definitely is a polarizing player um maybe more intriguing because of that any any players further down this list that you're excited about One, one name that i'll just highlight that i'm intrigued with because i think we didn't have a ton of info on him prior to the draft is joe redfield jr uh, their fourth round pick in 2023 out of sam houston um, he is another guy who kind of fits the the profile of a lot of players we're talking about these recent angels hitting acquisitions uh, it was a lot of on base skills it was a lot of contact the the end zone contact the chase rates the overall contact rates in college were all excellent um, his performance at Sam Houston State was phenomenal after two seasons in junior college. He signs for 472000 in the fourth round. It's their fourth highest pick this year after Shenwell, Barrett Kent, and Alberto Rios. He didn't like blow anyone away with his pro debut. It was a perfectly fine pro debut over 15 games. But those contact skills, the OBP, the center field profile, the athleticism, it seems like he has solid tools across the board so if he's just a little bit better of a hitter than maybe people expected i think he could be an intriguing uh name to watch lower down in the farm system now and also just a guy that i'm trying to i guess catch up on after the draft because he's he's one of these kind of surprising names when i heard him i was like oh like probably should have had more information on him at the time um and again the, the evan carter effect has me intrigued by players like this uh now so I'm, I'm excited to see what he does in 24 yeah
1: i'd say they signed a a few years ago, they signed Edgar Caro, the catcher out of Cuba. Um, not a whole lot of fanfare, maybe, around that signing at the time, but got to double-A when he was 20 years old, and then they uh, obviously traded him to the White Sox. So uh, they, they had some success with one international catching prospect. They have another right now in Dario La Verde, a Venezuelan catcher who they signed in 22 and, you know mid-range signing and, and had a really good year in the Arizona Complex league 306 419 455 um, kind of that flat flat bat path from the left side a lot of line drives uh, doesn't swing and miss much has a good sense of the strike zone um, that didn't show a, a lot of power but um, some of that could maybe come later on uh it's probably always going to be a, a hit over power type i think with him uh, and somebody who projects to be able to stick behind the plate um some things still to to iron out back there but i think he has all the tools to be able to stay back there uh, in terms of like the hand the, the the feet. it's you know at least an an average arm uh right now probably maybe above average you could you could call it too so um a lot of a lot of traits to like for somebody who could get to full season ball i would i would think this year and could make a bigger name for himself once uh you know once he does that
0: yeah uh i don't have any other takes or thoughts or comments on the angels do you want to move on to astros
1: yeah yeah what uh what do you make of this
0: astros so, system right now I'd say like the last few years, I haven't thought the Astros system looks that great, but I feel like they're one of these organizations that maybe consistently overproduces based on our expectations. Like I think they just do in general, a good job with player development. So I would be more surprised if the Astros uh, didn't get anything out of their system currently, than the angels just given the track records of both these organizations. Um, That said, there's, there's not like a, There's not a top guy in the system that really gets me excited. I mean, Jacob Melton is the guy we have number one in the system. He seems like a solid player all around. I feel like there are a lot of names throughout this system that I like fine. I don't get really excited about. Um, I mean, Bryce Matthews, their first round pick from this past draft, he he was like maybe the only player that you looked up after the first round and you're maybe a little surprised he went in the first round. It was a pretty chalky draft overall even then I think we had him ranked like 52. So we've seen many more off the board picks than, than Bryce Matthews. Um, so yeah, it's not a system that I'm really like massively excited about any one player or any group of players, but there are a lot of players that I look at and could see like paths to solid roles. Um, I think with Houston, it'll be interesting what happens with them over the next few years, because they're, they're like championship core is kind of aging, um, getting towards the end of team control in a lot of with a lot of players like it's going to be a turning over of i I guess unless they sign bregman um it's going to be like a new look astros in a few years and there's not really an obvious wave of prospects to replace all of them at the same time like if they come up with a bunch of pitchers that are playing in key roles down the stretch that i just was taking for granted it wouldn't shock me there are some arms i like alonzo treadwell I really like, um, Michael Nor is a name, uh, another right-hander in the system that I'm intrigued with. Will Wagner is a guy who's kind of always been this under the radar player that just goes out and performed. Um, so there are some interesting guys here, but uh, what do you think? Yeah, I think they're competing with the Royals for, uh, worst farm system
1: in baseball. Um, but Whereas the Royals have been picking toward the top of the draft every year, the Astros have been picking at the ends and they've also missed a lot of picks, uh, from their penalties. They've, Mm -hmm. they have good reason to be where they are, I I guess. Uh, they've also traded players, right? Like, um, you know, big trade with the Mets with the, you know, Ryan Clifford would make the system, um, look a lot better they're they're certainly missing some players who they did draft and i, I think did at least see you know like, like a guy like clifford some early success on where i can't say they've necessarily hit on a guy who's you know hasn't made it past uh high a yet but uh you know him drew gilbert uh, you put those guys back in the astros system it's it's gonna look a lot better but um yeah beyond that just given where it's at right now some understandable reasons for where it's at but uh just looking at the overall state of the farm system right now i think it's them and the royals fighting for Mm. uh (laughs) that number 29 spot
0: yeah i i think that's summed up really well i mean they didn't have a first round pick in 2020 2021 they've missed a lot of picks like you mentioned so I I kind of view them in a similar way that I view the Braves like I don't think the Braves have a great farm system right now maybe there are some guys at the top end you like more than the Astros but these are two organizations who have uh, a good core they're competitive now they've had a lot of success uh, in the regular season and getting to the postseason so it's a lot harder to to kind of bang them for for having a bad farm system you mentioned they're in this range for for maybe uh, beneficial reasons uh, or reasons that you you would be fine with if you're a fan so and the braves when they you know when dana
1: brown was there certainly hit on a lot of uh, Mm. i think a lot of later or less heralded draft prospects with them uh i'm curious to see how or if you've noticed any changes i mean he's not the scouting director he's the gm now but um, Mm. curious to see or if you see any differences between uh, how the astros have operated in the draft or how you expect them to Operate mm-hmm. going forward now that he's running the show there.
0: Yeah, I think that was an interesting one because Chris Gross also left the Astros uh, this right. offseason. He he goes to the Mets now. I feel like it will be a less noticeable difference um, under Dana Brown just because when Dana Brown came and started leading the scouting department with Atlanta, that shift was taking the Braves scouting department from uh, I would say really traditional. Um, sort of perception uh, under Brian Bridges to folding in a lot more analytics um, the regions that the team used for their area scouts seem to get a, a bit bigger there there's a bigger role for analysts in decision making and using the model when Dana Brown came to Atlanta um, in both versions the Braves have drafted well um, under Brian Bridges there are a lot of good drafts with Dana Brown there have been a lot of good drafts and good late round picks like you mentioned so I think Having Dana Brown take over the Astros, you you probably are going to notice that less because they're already a pretty analytically inclined organization um, from everything I'm aware of. Um, It's not a team that that Dana is like coming in and implementing a model like Houston certainly knows a better draft model. So I don't know that you'll see. I don't know that I'll notice too much. It's also hard to really gauge that for the Astros just because they haven't been picking at the top, or maybe you can get a, a feel for, for their philosophy. Maybe, maybe we can look into like some of the granularity of like fastball pitch shapes that they previously liked that maybe Dana has taken them away from. I would have to look more into that to know, but I think overarching, I, I wouldn't expect like, like a, a shocking shift in philosophy, if that makes sense, but it will be interesting to see where they go. Like this year when they were drafting, I was curious to see how they were going to operate. And I don't know that I picked out any, like, Oh, this is how the Astros are going to draft now. Nothing like that.
1: Yeah, I guess the one thing I've heard just from people who've worked alongside him recently is that uh, he does love the, the shortstops. So uh, <laughs> seeing them take Bryce Matthews or maybe other... Well, it's funny uh, because
0: Braden shoemaker was taken in a similar range for the Braves. That was their second first-round pick with his first draft, I think, for the Braves. It was Shay Langoliers, Braden Schumake, and now Bryce Matthews is, is the pick in the first round for the Astros this year.
1: Yeah, so... Um, yeah curious just to see how it it's it seems like a lot of changes for the Astros in the last couple of years so uh, <laughs> as this era comes to uh an end for them mm.
0: yeah um i don't i don't know there there's some interesting names for the down. do you have any other guys you want to mention here in the Astros system or are we kind of done with Astro's talk? I guess once we get to the bottom, it's a lot harder to uh get excited about players. It's kind of nature of the beast.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to drum up a lot of excitement. Like you said, they've, they've had obviously success with players, uh, you know, like their whole rotation (laughs) basically full of international signings who were Mm -hmm. not big name players and were older relative to the international market, older signings who they hit on and developed. Well, Uh, they've also changed a lot of things with their international scouting department as well since then um hmm. you know some of those scouts have gone over to the marlins now so curious to see how that changes things for them internationally but yeah overall uh i think it's i think it's on the very much on the wider side right now in terms of the current talent
0: yeah absolutely okay well, that can wrap up our Ale West prospect talk. That is all six divisions. So, if you guys have any thoughts on on how you'd line up the farm systems, let us know. I'm not exactly sure when our our uh, organizational talent rankings this year drop, but I have to imagine it's at some point in January, right? You know, Ben.
1: Uh, it should be yeah, it should be coming. We'll have the top 100 first, and then we'll we're gonna roll out our top 30s, and we'll roll out the org talent rankings from there yeah
0: speaking of i've got to get my top 150 in for uh like preliminary work on our top 100 getting that set so let's do let's do listener email that we have and then maybe get out of here unless you have anything else you want to talk about but there was a really yeah. interesting yeah an interesting email from levi I appreciate you sending that along again if you want to email us you can at uh, future projection at baseball just send us a line always appreciate getting listener emails It's fun. So Levi says, uh, the number one farm system has had strong success at the MLB. Ooh, ouch at the MLB level shortly after being named the top farm system. Generally the top system makes it to the playoffs within a few years of being the top system. What is the level of, of success that the top five farm systems have in making the playoffs after being a top five farm system? So basically the track record of the number one team is pretty good does that extend to top five farm systems? And I pulled some data for this and it was kind of hard to track because there are a number of teams who are a top five system for multiple years. So you're kind of folding in multiple systems. But I basically just went back to 2014, looked at our organizational talent rankings and I pulled everyone who is a top five system in that stretch at any period and just looked at their success um after having a top five farm system initially we have um 20 different teams so two-thirds of the league has at some point in the last 10 years had a top five farm system is that number just off the bat more or less than you'd have expected i f- feel like that tracks is a it's a large sample of our 20
1: teams have been in the top five in the last
0: 10 years 20 different teams have been in the top five in the last 10 years yeah
1: yeah yeah that seems about right okay I- not so those other 10 teams have
0: <laughs> had some issues. <laughs> yes, that's definitely the case. Yeah. Um, so for these, for these teams, uh, the rate of those teams having a winning season within three years of, of having a top five farm system, it was 16 of 18 with two that are not applicable, applicable yet because we haven't had three years. Um, so 88% of teams, in this span wind up having a winning season within three years okay that's solid if you look at postseason appearances within three years of being a top five farm system it's 14 of the 18 teams so 77 percent again i don't know how much you read into that because it's not exactly too hard to get into the postseason at this point but a lot of this time was when just 10 teams made the playoffs so i think that's fairly compelling um a few of the notable teams who actually didn't make the postseason within three years after having a top five farm system um, that maybe will give you faith. If you're like the Tigers, who is one of the teams who they had a top five farm system in 2021 and each of the next three years, 2021, 2022 and 2023, they've been an under 500 team, haven't made the postseason. But one of the teams um, that didn't make the postseason within three years was the Astros, um, they're fourth season on. They've been a, a postseason team every year. So maybe if you're the Tigers and you're a little bit bummed about how long it's taken, you can look towards the Astros to give you a little bit of faith. The only other team um, I would say that, that made it after missing three were the White Sox. They ranked number five in 2017. Uh, they were under 500 the next three years. And then in 2020 and 2021, um, they won 58% of the time, 57% of the time, made the playoffs both years. Um, so I think those numbers are are fairly interesting. It's a bit hard to digest. I'm I'm not sure if you have any questions or any comments in general about this, Ben, but I I really loved the question and I loved like looking into the track record. So it seems like if you do have a top five farm system, you're probably going to have some success at the big league level in short order.
1: Yeah. And I think too, there's probably an even higher success rate for if you just look at a number one farm system in baseball, because you know, when we do these rankings, the number five system, a lot of times number five or even number four, those teams could easily be number eight. Like there's different tiers of, of systems. And then there's a year like right now with the Orioles where it's like, yeah, clearly they're they're the number one farm system in baseball, at least for me. Um, Mm -hmm and And that's typically the case where there's usually one one or two farm systems that really separate themselves from the pack. And the track record of those teams, uh, getting to the World Series and having postseason success is is pretty strong. Mm. Um, you know, I guess like the the Rangers didn't win the World Series back, you know back in like 2010, 2011, but um, you know they they got to the World Series. They had one of the best farm systems uh, leading into that um the you know the Red sox uh had one of the better farm systems in baseball turn- you know turned that into a championship uh the royals uh very famously of course were uh had the number one farm system in baseball uh got to it was back to back world series won the won the championship in fifteen mm. um the Rays tanked for, or I don't even know they were tanking, they were just bad for <laughs> a long time. Uh, and then since then, I've been able to, to turn everything around. Um, obviously no championship yet, but it's, yeah. it sustained them. The Astros the same way, tanked for many years. Uh, the Cubs, of course, uh, another great tanking example, building this dynamite farm system and turned it into a championship in Mm-hmm. 2016. So, uh, yeah, it's not like uh, it, it, every. You know, I'm sure this year will be the same thing. We come up with our farm system rankings, uh, and the Orioles or whoever is ranked high, uh, or whoever is ranked low too will say who who cares. But the teams mm-hmm. that will be ranked high, will be, oh, people will say, oh, well, who cares? Like, we, the, the, it's not the same as winning a World Series championship. We yeah, let me know them.
0: when the. We're not trying to get the organ, organization. Or talent ranking of the year championship trophy yeah we're not
1: yeah there's no do they raise a banner for the baseball america farm system number one ranking well no but it's it's a good thing to have a lot of really good young players Mm. in your farm system who you're going to have control of their first six seven years of their major league career during their prime years uh, at basically the league minimum or close to its salary for their first three years then well below market rate for the few years after that. So, uh, yeah, having, having a lot of good players on the upswing of their careers generally leads to, to good things is my, uh, super insightful analysis here.
0: <laughs> yeah. Looking into this as well, helped me realize that the Rays are basically the champions of farm system rankings, um, in the history of, I think going back to 1984, I believe is the first year and the Rays have a lot less time being ranked in that span as an expansion team. Um, but they had the highest overall average farm system ranking of, of any team. I think their average ranking is like eight, which is kind of absurd. Throughout the 2000s, they've had a number of really strong farm systems for a, a strong duration of time. The other two that had an average ranking of top 10 uh, were the Dodgers and then the Braves. Uh, no other team had an average ranking inside the top 10. So I thought that was cool. I also looked at winning percentage of all of these teams in the majors since the initial top five farm system ranking in this stretch again that's just 2014 forward the teams all all at the bottom it's basically the entirety of the the al central the royals uh it's only counting two years because they were ranked five in 2022 these are the worst farm systems. these are the worst major league winning percentage since a top five ranking. So if, you're, if gotcha. your top five ranking was in 2014, I just looked at 2014 through 2023. I didn't know the best way to kind of divvy up um, counting your major league success after having top five. So I just kind of looked at the first year in a number of teams um, like the Orioles, like we had them top five in multiple years. So it was kind of difficult to divvy it up. But yeah, if you just take the earliest you were ranked top five, from twenty fourteen to twenty twenty three, and look at your winning percentage um, over that stretch. The bottom five are the Royals, the Tigers, the Pirates, the White Sox, and the Guardians. So, four of the five here are AL Central teams, and two of those are also clubs that did not have the White Sox and the Tigers did not have winning seasons within three years of that top five ranking. So, for the Tigers, that'd be twenty twenty one through twenty twenty three. For the White Sox, that was 2017 through 2019. Those are like the two biggest outliers in terms of... Yeah, they're, they're the only two that didn't have a winning season within three years of that initial top five ranking. So something about the the AL Central, man. Do
1: you have the historical data on which teams generally averaged as having the worst farm systems over that time period? Or were you just focused on
0: the question of who had the i have distance. i have that so i have i could tell you right now i looked i basically pulled up our historic organizational talent rankings and i can tell you over the last 10 years which teams have averaged the worst i could tell you which have averaged the worst over the entirety of our rankings Wh- which of those did you want and, yeah
1: i'm just curious which ones were came out the worst
0: in terms of their uh, like in which span like oh like since we've started doing org talent rankings uh what whatever span you have it for i have it for a number you can do last five years last 10 years last like literally average since 1984 what do you want uh yeah going back maybe the last 10
1: 20 years one of those okay let's ranges. see last
0: last 10 years so on average this is how it would go from from the worst to the best uh, these would be our bottom five teams of average org talent ranking over the last decade angels is the worst uh, with a 23.4 average Marlins is next with 21.4 Royals next 21.2 giants 20.9 athletics 20.4 hmm. those are also the only five that have averaged 20 20 plus basically so on average they've been a bottom third farm system over the last decade for us the yeah that's interesting
1: is there only see want it Instead the Angels and the Marlins being where they are, (laughs) I feel like the the Royals have had years, and maybe it's like right at the cutoff
0: of where I think it is the cutoff of their last good like stretch. Yeah,
1: yeah, because they, you know, obviously the 14 and 15 teams were great for them uh, Mm because it feels like they've had some years of great farm systems sandwiched or packaged around with some years with some pretty uh, barren uh <laughs> barren systems
0: yeah if you look at the worst farm systems on average since 1984 since we've done this do you have any guesses on the five teams that would be at the bottom of that list since 1984 yeah and these are also these don't include any expansion teams too so that worked out well yeah well that uh 1984 predates my time <laughs>
1: uh baseball america uh I probably I, i'd probably stick with the angels maybe on, oh no the angels were pretty good actually earlier in the
0: they had a good stretch 2000, from 2002 to yeah. 2007 where they ranked 5 3 3 1 4 and 4 yeah uh, but they still are here they are the fourth worst overall um so you do have one of the one of the five worst their their average um in the entirety of our rankings is right at 19. There are two three yeah, two other teams with them at 19. There's one that's averaged 21 for its history and, and one that's like not really in the same tier at 17. The White Sox is at 17. They're the least bad of this and I don't even really think they probably belong um, just with some of the other average scores.
1: Mm-hmm. Any other
0: guesses or you want them named? Uh, go go Pirates. No, not the Pirates. The Pirates actually stack up pretty well overall. Uh, They're at 11. Um, They generally haven't been terrible through most of the history. In their farm system. Yeah, (laughs) in their their farm system specifically. (laughs) Uh,
1: Oakland was pretty good for a while. I don't think it was. Oakland is not here.
0: They are 18 overall, it looks like. The Pirates are actually 10th. I was kind The of Tigers? Wrong. Like I want to say maybe... The Tigers are the worst overall. Okay. At, on average, 21. Their stretch from 2008 to 2016 was pretty bad. Uh, they ranked 27, 28, 27, 25, 23, 27, 28, 30, 26. Um, and I think they're also... They have very few top five rankings ever. Um, I'm looking back 1998, they ranked seven, um, 2022, they ranked six. So yeah, they, they've never ranked higher than six. No, I lied. 2021, they ranked four. So recent years is really the best era for tigers or, or talent rankings. You know, the reason I said that is
1: because I, I mean, I remember writing up some of those Tigers farm systems and just <laughs> thinking of Dave Dombrowski's approach to how to use a farm system. And he traded a lot of guys and out of that system who were highly ranked and mm. he didn't, he didn't miss them too many. <laughs> I mean, Eugenio Suarez, I'm sure uh, they wish they had that one back. That was a, so
0: you're saying trading, trading the prospects is a good strategy that you endorse. A, trading, trading yeah. the
1: right prospects
0: yeah yeah you no know, i think you... so it is ironic that like the people like us who spend our the entire of our year covering prospects like generally like the idea of trading them
1: <laughs> yeah well it just depends which ones and for which players like i don't well I mean, yeah that's, that's trade away sauce, your of course. best players for some rental for <laughs> a couple months of this you know the season which mm. teams used to do with a lot more frequency mm. but um you know it was like you know they 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 made a lot of trades um you know like the like the dontrell willis for you know and miguel cabrera um when they got him from the marlins and it's like hey yeah, you i know i guess like andrew miller turned into a, a really good reliever but it was like you know him cameron maybin mm. uh, a few other guys who you know had a cup of coffee in the big leagues but um, they they made a lot of deals and trade a lot of pretty high profile prospects that they again other than maybe any Eugenio Suarez and maybe somebody else I'm not thinking of off the top of my head but generally it worked out for them and and they had a lot of success while he was there and then um, took some time to <laughs> obviously kind of rebuild everything mm-hmm. from there afterwards.
0: All right, you got two more teams that are in this bottom grouping. Both have averaged um, like 19 overall. One of these teams has never had a top five farm system in our history. Did we say twins? No, didn't say twins. They would not be included here. They're actually top ten. Okay, all right. I wasn't gonna guess them anyway. Okay. So. <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> See, I didn't guess them. You weren't gonna guess them. They're both National League teams.
1: Oh. And it's not ex- no, no, like so can't do Rockies or Diamondbacks.
0: Oh yeah, no expansion teams are here. No, yet. So, all right. Um, it's the Rockies right. are the worst on average expansion team ranking, though, narrowly yeah. narrowly beating out the the backs for worst on this list. Would be the Reds? Uh, no, it's not the Reds. The Reds no. uh, looks like Reds are more. Uh, they're just get out. They're they're kind of on the fringe of like twenty one. They're at twenty one. The Giants had some really good systems. The Giants are here, though. The Giants they have are. had some really good ones. They are tied with this team. They In the, I guess, like late 2000s and then in like the early 90s, they had some systems that were top five-ish. But yeah, not, not for an extended period of time. In 2009 and 2010, they ranked five and four. Um, really prior to that, throughout the 2000s, they were kind of middle of the pack at best. Uh, 1992 they ranked five and yeah other than that it's a lot of double digit um, farm system rankings and then they had a stretch from really 2013 to 2019 where they were arguably like pretty bad and now they just kind of like mediocre for the last five years
1: yeah cuz their system back in must have been like 27 like late What what do we call that late 27 2007 to 2000 the aughts? nine yeah like the late the late aughts. Like they had a <laughs> ton of talent yep they're obviously in you know there are three
0: world series rings for, i'm from, guessing they graduated uh, that talent really quickly or it's like a really condensed window cuz in 2000 uh, from 2007 they ranked 20 23 5 4 23 22 so it was like a quick quick window of of good rankings yeah probably probably underrated them too. I mean, to that, me could bad, be, yeah, that could be, yeah, that could be the case. Like, these aren't, Some of it too. obviously, these aren't flawless. Yeah.
1: I mean, uh, obviously, Buster Posey was in and out pretty mm-hmm. quick. Uh, mm-hmm. Tim Winsicum, the same. Uh, mm-hmm. Matt Kane, uh, you know, that Sandoval, Brandon Belt, uh ton of talent coming yep. through there during those years.
0: All right. You're looking for your last one. Avoid the West Coast for your last National League team here. Is it. Is it the Mets? No, but you're in the right division.
1: All right. I, well, I guess then it's got to be the Phillies.
0: Yep, it is the Phillies. <laughs> I just, yeah, I
1: mean, kind of ruled <laughs> out the, I was like, nope, it can't be the Marlins or Nationals, so.
0: <laughs> and you knew it wasn't the Braves, so yeah, yeah. Phillies. So your your bottom five, uh, in order from worst to best, go Tigers, Phillies, Giants, Angels, White Sox for all-time BA organizational talent rankings. Your best five goes Rays, Dodgers, Braves, Blue Jays, Yankees. So Interesting.
1: Yeah, I wasn't thinking the Phillies probably because I'm thinking of the years where I've been either working at BA or just before mm. BA because they got to the World Series in 07 and 08 and they had so much homegrown talent on those teams where I don't I, I mean, it was before I worked at Baseball
0: America, but I got to imagine they I would hope ranked pretty highly in that, you know, uh, in that stretch, the early mid ots, the early mid ots. So from 2000 to 2005, they ranked 12, 11, seven, 21, 21, 20, 22, 21. So wow. they had that 2002 year where they ranked seven. I guess captured that the most, but no, they didn't didn't rank it as well as maybe you'd expect. Okay, yeah, I mean they had Utley,
1: Rollins, Ryan Ryan Howard was a like a difficult when I mean, he was a prospect's, before my time but i I imagine just his him being the age he was with the strikeouts that he had as a first base prospect but also Mm -hmm. the gigantic power that he had made him a, a difficult prospect to evaluate
0: do you know what's crazy as i'm looking at this the rays so their first ranking came in 1998 in 1999 they were ranked 29. After that, they have never ranked lower than twenty overall since nineteen ninety nine. That's insane. I mean, that's why they're number one. But it's crazy. They've they've just never had a bad farm system for this, since two thousand. Yeah,
1: a lot, of, a lot of a lot of very high draft picks in those yes. early years, and then <laughs> yes. since then, hitting on a still hitting on players later on uh, internationally too, and then certainly when you're trading so many players off your big league roster and then hitting on so many of those trades. That's, uh, I would say, certainly a lot more impressive for them to be able to sustain that type of um, level of talent in the farm system in uh, maybe the last 10 years than it was in the previous (laughs) or, or the early days of their franchise.
0: Absolutely. All right. Those are all my thoughts on, on foreign system talk. Again, thank you to to Levi for saying the question. Hopefully we we gave you the answer you're looking for there. Um, Ben, anything else before we get out of here?
1: No, just, uh, got a whole, whole bunch of calls and contacts to (laughs) make over the next uh, week and a half or so until the international signing period starts on January
0: 15th. All right. Well, enjoy your time with that. Um, I guess in the meantime, guys, thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting Baseball America. We've got a lot of fun stuff planned in the new year. Hope you guys are getting excited for the new season. I know I am. Uh, Glad to be back on the podcast with you, Ben. Um, But, yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next week. For Ben, I'm Carlos. So long, everybody.